You're listening to the Covenant Original Series Minority. Most people have something they are willing to live for. Do you have something you are willing to die for? Here is part three, Waking Grind of Minority. Some people have something that they're willing to live for, but few people, few people have something that they're willing to die for. This is where I want to begin our talk today, from this standpoint, from this foundation. And it's from this point that I want to have a conversation with you, because when it comes to being in the minority, uh, when, it, when it comes to, to having a vision that you're willing to sacrifice absolutely everything for, Jesus, of course, once again, serves as the perfect case study. Think about it. Jesus God himself, putting on flesh and bone, coming to this world with a vision to save humanity. I love how the author of Colossians 1 puts it. He says that Jesus Christ it came to reconcile all things unto himself, things in heaven and earth, by making peace through the blood that he spilled while he was on the cross. I don't think Jesus could have stated his vision, his, his purpose, his desire, his intent any more clearly than he does in the book of Luke chapter 19. In this interaction, in this very real true account that he has with this, uh, how you say, uh, shorter, um, kind of crooked uh, tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now, any good... Uh, you know, church kid obviously knows Zacchaeus and his song, correct? We've all heard this growing up. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. It's the most un-PC song in church to date. Um, and there's much that we could glean from this story, but I want us to focus in on it, and specifically the last portion. You can read with me or just follow along this narrative. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, you know it's going to be good if you get a behold. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Can you say Zacchaeus for me? Let me hear you say that. Zacchaeus. Yeah, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was a shorty. Verse 4. So we ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, being the crowd, they all grumbled. They said, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to, would you read this with me? Came to seek and save the lost. Now, while there are many things we could infer, while there are many things that we could learn, there is but one thing that I want us to focus in on today, and that is Jesus' last words here in verse 10. Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this sounds simple enough, doesn't it? This sounds like a simple enough vision, but that's because the best visions are succinct. 
the best vision uh, statements or mission statements are, are very uh, easy to remember, are very short and very poignant. Jesus, being God, knew that even though this sounded simple, would not be simple. Because Jesus, being God, knew that this vision would cost him everything to accomplish it, to see it through. So I think it's fair, I think it's fair to say that Jesus understood that, this, that the vision uh, for his life that he considered was even greater than his own physical well-being. Let me say that one more time. Jesus, being God, understood that he would give everything for this vision. So it's fair to say that Jesus had a vision for his life that was considered even greater than his own physical well-being. Now, full disclosure. When I read this, when I read this passage of Scripture, when I, when I read other passages like this where Jesus states his dream, states his, his desire, states his, his vision, I, full disclosure, I get convicted. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I really do. I get really convicted. I, I've found lately in my life that I've become a little too okay in my state of life. I find myself at times becoming a little too okay with, with what this world has given me and the way I live. I, I found myself being a little too okay with, with getting comfortable. Maybe that's just me. But, but I have to ask, shouldn't our lives be about something more? Should the ultimate goal of my life be to just get comfortable? Should the ultimate goal of, of my life be to, to work really hard at the beginning and get that flywheel going so that towards the end of my life I can just really coast it out and ride it out to the end? Is that what the vision for my life should be? Is that what the vision for our lives should be? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, as informed by the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, Maybe our lives should be about something bigger than ourselves. Maybe our lives should be about something even bigger than this world. And if this is the case, then now what we're talking about is a God-sized vision. And a God-sized vision for our lives requires two things. And I want you to write them down. The first is foresight, and the next is insight. Would you look at your neighbor? And just say, with a smile on your face, foresight. All right, now, look at your other neighbor with a real smile on your face, and just help me out and say, insight. Now, I want you to write those down. I think it's really going to be important because we're going to talk about those and explore those. But first, I want to show you something I, I brought from my home collection. That just makes it sound better. Um, from my house. This is my son's telescope. You thought it was a missile launcher. No, it's a telescope. And, uh, and let's just see, let's, let's, yeah, that's really, that really got awkward with someone's face real fast. Um, anyway, if you're listening to us on podcast, I just saw somebody's nose and what was up. But anyway, um, that's besides the point. I don't know how many hours I have spent outside with, outside with my son Noah um, using this. And I, and I say using, like, kind of, I'll use that loosely, because most of the hours are spent with me trying to get it to work. That's really kind of the honest truth. I spend the majority of the time doing this. I'm kind of just 
trying to focus it in, it's really hard. It's really hard to focus it in. My son loves to look at the moon. He wants to look at the moon at nighttime through this, and we do that together. But it's really hard to dial it in to get it focused in um, because we're looking at something that's thousands of miles away. Uh, uh, Like very, very, very far away, in fact. It's so far away, I have it written down here, 238,900 miles to be exact. So it's hard to dial it in. But, But get this, with the telescope, without a telescope, we would have never gone to the moon. I don't mean me and my son. I mean us as like a people, right? We would have never gone there. Without a telescope, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have known what the moon really was like up close. We wouldn't have known how to go to the moon. We wouldn't have known where to land and what to prepare for when we got there. This is foresight. This is what foresight is. Foresight is the ability to properly gauge what will be needed in the future or upon arrival. And, and, and Jesus demonstrates early on in his ministry that, that, that foresight is crucial to having a God-sized vision or to accomplishing a God-sized vision. Let me explain. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, and other gospels as well, we, we read about Jesus early on in his ministry and how he's recruiting people to follow after him. Now, if you're somebody who's wanting to start a business or start something new and, and you're trying to recruit people to come with you, you are looking for the best people to follow you. You're going to go to the great places in culture. You're going to try to win over intelligent people who are going to really... Jesus doesn't go to those places in his recruitment. Jesus didn't go to the temples. He didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't go to the universities. Do you know where Jesus went to recruit people? His followers, his disciples? Jesus went to the beach, and you're like, amen. That's why I love my Jesus, right? (laughs) Now, Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee right there, and he goes up to a group of fishermen, and he says, hey, follow me. Put your nets down. You, you, You fish for fish. You try to catch fish, but come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And what do they do? They drop their nets. Men like Peter, men like Andrew, they, they followed him. And, and you ask why? I'll tell you why. Jesus had the foresight, there's that word, the foresight to know he was going to need people who in the long run would have the heart, the fortitude, and the toughness to endure persecution and carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's one thing to have the head knowledge. It's another thing to have the heart knowledge. You feel me? It's another thing to be a a tough individual who is willing to die for a vision. So Jesus wasn't just trying to recruit people who were intellectually there. He was trying to recruit people who he knew would die for the vision, and die they did. Nearly every single one of the original disciples called by Jesus was murdered for preaching about Jesus. Think about that, including Peter. Peter was crucified, but not like Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down by his request because he felt like he wasn't worthy enough to be murdered in the same way that Christ was murdered in. Another example of foresight from Scripture is John 2. This one I particularly love. Just to give you a little context, in John 2, we, we find Jesus walking into the temple. He rolls up with his guys, and he, and he comes into the temple to worship, and he gets really angry. We know the story, right? There's a bunch of people selling merchandise and animals and eggs and whatever they're selling. 
and Jesus gets angry. Do you remember what he does? He, scripture tells us in John 2, I'd encourage you to read, he goes and makes a whip and beats people and drives them out of the temple. Now, why this cracks me up, and maybe I have a really bad sense of humor, I don't know, but is you have to be pretty angry to walk into a joint, take in the situation, have the consciousness to walk away, craft a device, come back and beat people with it. That's how angry Jesus was, right? And then we pick up here, and this is a, a good nod to his foresight. Verse 18, after Jesus has driven these people out, he's approached by a group of Jews, and they said to him, what sign do you show us by doing these things? Jesus, why have you done this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Pause, you get that, right? Jesus is referencing what he's going to do. He's talking not about the temple that they're in, but the temple of himself. And what he's saying is, when you destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. People didn't get it. He was like whoosh, over the head. Nobody got what he was talking about. They were just like, there's Jesus. I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, but it's Jesus, you know. And, and it goes on and it says this. Look at this. Um, verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead. Get, this is so cool. Look at this. Verse 22, when he therefore was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that Jesus had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Look, at Jesus had the foresight to capitalize on a situation in the present where nobody knew what he was talking about for the purpose of the future context of him dying and rising again and helping the unbelief of his disciples. That, that, I'm telling you, that right there shows what we're talking about. That is foresight. This is exactly what it is. Here's two questions for you to take personal stock. In your own life, with your own God-sized vision, let me ask, what is it that will be needed in the future to accomplish your vision? Second question, how are you preparing for tomorrow today? How are you going about preparing for tomorrow today concerning foresight? Now, my son Judah, he's four blazing spiky red hair we love judah my my issue with him is that we keep finding frogs in his pockets and by frogs i mean the amphibious creatures that live in swamps he has an affinity with frogs uh, we, we've sat down a number of times at dinner and heard croaking noises and look over and he'll reach in and pull out a frog. I'm like, what are you, why do you have amphibians in your pocket, son? He's like, I just did, they were just, I just got them, you know. <laughs> Another thing he loves to do, apart from collecting frogs, is, is we found at times uh, jars of bugs, like behind his pillow. It's like, what, what are you doing, buddy? Like frogs and bugs. He loves this stuff. He's a little boy. He just loves to collect frogs and bugs. So we got this little microscope. Now, it, does, it doesn't look like a microscope, but I promise you that it is. It's the Zoom 4000. No, I don't know the name of it. It's just a microscope. Um, and, and it's really cool, though. He loves this thing. Because what it does, if you're not familiar with a microscope, is you look through this end, and whatever you put underneath of it, it, it lets you get an inside view into it. You know what I mean? It shows it for what it actually really is. 
It gives you a brand new perspective. It is a very insightful tool, you could say that. Because it, it just shows exactly what is there. We, we love it very much. It allows you to zoom in. When it comes to having a God-sized vision, insight represents this, micro, or this microscope, microscope represents insight. Because it is the close-up view, the day-to-day what each day will look like when you're chasing after that God-sized vision. Are we back on track? Does that make sense? Because in order to achieve a God-sized vision, you have to plan, calculate, organize, and structure each day around that vision. You have to maintain it. There must be insight. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus daily daily monitoring his relationship with the Father in order to stay on track with the vision. Now, we don't necessarily look at Jesus in that way, but Jesus constantly was aligning himself with the vision of the Father. Mark 1, Matthew 14, Luke 6 provide solid examples of Jesus getting up and out of the busyness of the day so that he could get away and get insight and perspective from God. But there's one passage to me that, that illustrates this in the most beautiful way, and it's found in the book of Luke chapter 22. And I'll tell you why I love this so much. We know that, that Jesus Christ was, was the God-man. That sounds like a superhero, doesn't it? We know that he was fully God and he was fully man. Will we agree with this? Yes. This is scripture. But while we say that Jesus was fully God and fully man, we say it like this. God was, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he, he was God. That's what we do, right? Jesus was fully God and fully man, but yeah, he was God. So we oftentimes lose the fact that he was fully human. That there was true humanity, that there was, there was a real nature going on there with Jesus where he wrestled with emotions and pain and hurt. And I love that this passage right here in talking about insight gives us a little bit of an inside track and opens up this real humanity that, that exists inside Christ. Look at this, Luke 22, starting verse 1, says this. Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Obviously, Jesus is speaking here about being crucified. And he says, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus knew the importance of insight. He knew the importance of, of taking stock of his own emotions and desires and constantly giving them over to his Father. Jesus was con consistently in prayer, consistently in Scripture, consistently and constantly in union with the Father. In our own lives, let me ask you, when it comes to your God-sized vision, I have to ask, are you daily gaining insight from the one who gave you the vision to begin with? Are you daily spending time in the word? Are you daily spending time in prayer? And I'm, and I'm not talking about a, a thank you prayer over your lunch. I'm, I'm not talking about throwing up a prayer when things get difficult. I'm, I mean, are you in union? Are you in sync with God the Father? Are you using prayer and scripture to inform 
your decisions? Are you using them to give you true insight and then applying that insight to your lives? Listen to me. Uh, if we want our lives to truly matter, then our lives must be about something bigger than ourselves. Let me just say that one more time. If you want your life to truly matter, it must be about something bigger than yourself. It must be about something even bigger than this world. We can't just live for ourselves. But this is not what we're told. This is not what we're sold, is it? No, not at all. The majority of people in this world are happy just falling in line, maintaining the status quo. But can I remind you of something? Is that, can I remind you of something? Yes or no, yes? Is it? You are not most people. Church, you are not most people. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your vision for this world will not be the same as most people. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your life will not look like the majority of people around you. In fact, as a Christ follower, your day-to-day -day will look different. Your day-to-day, -day, your hour-by-hour will look different. Let me, let me just throw this out there. You may actually have to wake up a little bit early than other pe earlier than other people to make sure that you have time away with God. You may have to stay up later to ensure that you have proper time to meditate in Scripture. And listen, do it. You have to maintain that. And don't complain that everybody else isn't doing that. You are not most people. You are called to something else. If you want to accomplish a God-sized vision in your life, then you must do something differently than everyone else. Nothing will be different about you. Nothing will be different about your life. And nothing will be accomplished. I don't know that I can make that any more clear. And, and I say that because I love you. But I also say that to remind you that is the standard that each and every single one of us are called to. I got some friends that are, that are weightlifters. And uh, I love them because I have to, because they're bigger than me. Um, but the problem with like a, a major weightlifter is, is a lot of times, you know, you go to coffee, um, you know, or something, and, and they're drinking their protein shake, um, and they've got their headphones in, they're just coming from a pump, you know what I'm saying? And they're just doing this, they've just got the bounce, you know what I mean? Because they're just like jacked, they're just ready. And I'm standing, it's like early in the morning, I'm just like, I just want a coffee, I just, just, can you just leave me alone, I just want a coffee, you know? And they got their headphones on, they got motor, like these motivational talks going through their headphones, and one of the things that I hear a lot is this, is this, is this term grind. Is this term grind, like wake and grind. Like you got to wake and grind. You got to get up and you got to go and you got to push and you got to. But, but here's the thing. It's, it's so true. It's so true. The act of grinding something, like going against the grain and crushing something is difficult to do. And as a Christian, what I want to tell you is, man, you got to wake and grind. There are going to be days when you do not feel like getting in the word and you got to wake up and grind. There are going to be days when you feel like giving up because something difficult has happened. But you are not most people. You have to get up and grind. There are going to be days when you just want to fit in and do what everybody else does. But you are not most people. 
to wake and grind. You got to stay consistent in the word. You got to stay consistent before your father. You got to stay in sync and in union with God. This will make you different. And the compounding effect of living this way daily will allow you to accomplish a God-sized vision that he placed in your heart before you were even born. This is the difference in you. This is the difference in all of us, not fueled by ourselves, but fueled by the Holy Spirit, who is God taking up residence, living inside of us. Now, you may be listening to this, and you're like, whoa, okay, I'm with you. But here's the problem, Travis. I don't have vision in my life, and I definitely don't have a God-sized vision. Okay, not an issue. I can help you. I'm going to tell you how to get a God-sized vision. You ready? You ready? <clears throat> Three words. Write these down. If you got a pen, write these down. We're at church. We don't just worship in spirit. We worship in truth. Okay? This is important. Write these three words down. Pick a problem. You want to get a God-sized vision in your life? Pick a problem. You're like, what are you talking about? I'll tell you. Look around the world. Look for something. Look at all the things that break the heart of our Father and fix it. Solve it. Work at it. Look at all the things that break the heart of our Father and get passionate about it. Find a way to fix it and don't stop until you die. That's how to get a God-sized vision. And maybe say, like, what are, you, what are you talking about exactly? Like the construction in Columbus? That's a problem. I don't know if that breaks God's heart. It breaks my heart. But, well, you know. No, that's not a problem you can fix. I don't know who can fix that problem. No, no. I'm, I'm talking about things larger that really, truly break the heart. Let me give you a, a couple examples. Just, and just pick one. Injustice, poverty, slavery, lostness, addiction, abuse, human trafficking. Find something that breaks the heart of our Father and dedicate your life to it. Ask that God give you a God-sized vision for it and go after it daily. And once again, don't stop until you die. Let me ask you, church, what is it that you're passionate about? What are you living for? Wake up! If you want your life to be different, you must live differently. If you want to make a dent in this world for the gospel. You, are go you cannot live like most people live. You will be in the minority. But our Savior, Jesus, was in the minority. Should we be shocked by that? No, no. Ephesians 2, my favorite, one of my favorite passages. It says that before the foundations of this earth, before the foundations of the world were even laid, God knew chose you, called you by name. See, God didn't make a mistake in putting you in the time that he put you in. You, each one of you, you are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason, for a specific reasoning. And it is up to you to discover what that reasoning actually is. Now, maybe you're here today and you're hearing me and you're like, Wow, this is a little bit intense, Travis. Gotta be honest with you, little intense. I gotta work at something till I die. 
I got to get a vision that I'm preparing to die for. That's a little intense. I'm all about the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm all about Jesus. Listen, I showed up to church today, even though it was nasty outside. Sometimes a tithe. I, I might even go to a sea life once in a while. But this just seems like a little, a little much. If that's you, listen. Listen very closely. I want you to hear me. The call to follow Jesus has always been and will always be a call to die. It has always been a call to die. Jesus himself says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and walk. You want to call yourself my own? Daily, you must crucify your flesh. We don't need to sugarcoat the gospel. It is what it is. It is a call to die. And until Jesus, until following Jesus becomes something that you're willing to die for, living for Jesus is something that you will never truly Thanks for listening to this message from our series, Minority at Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.